did you just see that you were like blocked? The guy or said, I'm going to kick you off if you say one more thing. And I wrote back, go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You wow. want to Welcome to I'd Buy That for a Dollar, a podcast about inexpensive, common, and underappreciated records. I'm your host, Sean Hartman, joined by my regular co-host, late-period Hellraiser film critic, Peter Cook. <laughs> Clive Barker is going down. <laughs> and uh, aspiring Coming to America adaptation playwright, Jeremy Ruggles. I have absolutely nothing for that. Well done. <laughs> He stumped me. And then uh, we are joined for the third week in a row by Inzane Johnny and the co-host from his podcast, Rich Tupika. Hey, how's it going? Hey. hey. Welcome, Rich. You guys want to do a a quick uh, promo of your podcast? I don't think we've actually really mentioned it yet. Yeah. Well, uh, me and uh, John Olson sitting here started a new all Michigan podcast called Inzane Michigan uh, with Rich and Johnny, and uh, we kind of go back and forth between super rare and the not so rare, just Michigan bizarre stuff, Michigan good stories, and good music. So, right on. What's it called? How do they find it? It's insanemichigan.com. Insanemichigan.com. Yep. And to give you some background on Rich, he just wrote a book on uh, big stars, Chris Bell. Yeah. I've never met a dude around here that knows as much about Lansing and mid Michigan's and, and Detroit's music history. It's insane. Like he knows everything from the blue echoes to the history of the brewery place that used to have gigs works at the city pulse and grand rapids, amazing writer. And I was creeping around talking about Michigan history and everyone was just like, Oh man, you gotta get it rich. That's the boy. And here it is. Lunch led to an afternoon together. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a good mix. I mean, John also has, as you've seen today, we're at John's house right now, and he has an amazing collection of private press Michigan records. I'm just private press, period. But uh, he's really good at scoping out and sniping these really uh, <laughs> hard to find records. I mean, I don't know whether they're actually hard to find or whether not too many people want them. <laughs> but uh, he he, uh, he is the market for many of them. <laughs> right. Right. But uh, this, but yeah. So it, it's a good mix of him knowing uh, a lot about real just you know underground michigan music but then real real underground stuff uh like on your episode where john talks about the you know the christian record recorded in a living room with bells or whatever uh it's so yeah we kind of run the spectrum our next episode is going to be about terry knight in the pack you know that's tied into grand funk you know so that's as commercial as you can get so we're kind of covering the entire spectrum right on i'm glad to have you on the podcast and we'll be guesting on an episode of your podcast shortly after this coming right on. on at some point yep to, talking about keizu music history that's right yes bridging the gap and today you have brought us uh michigan local folk heroes the beach boys correct yes uh if you didn't know brian wilson was actually born in kalamazoo and he lived there until just recently <laughs> <laughs> yeah somehow that slipped past me <laughs> So, yeah, so uh, I, you know, I knew that John was going to come with something uh, totally uh, off the radar. So I was like, hey, I'm just going to go completely uh, the other side of the dollar bin. 
and uh, pick up on a, a good commercial pop record that you can get for really cheap. Hiding in plain sight. Right, right. And this one, it's uh, the Beach Boys Today. So it's a record that no one ever talks about with the Beach Boys. I mean, I'm sure the hardcore Beach Boys fans. Sure. I was in a Beach Boys Facebook group uh, until recently I got kicked out of there for talking about Mike Love. But uh, I'll have some love for love. Or... <laughs> you can't make fun of Mike Love, apparently, with the real hardcore. Um, but, uh, you know, still, I mean, people don't talk about this record enough because uh, it's like I said earlier today when I was telling you about the Beach Boys today, you said, when was that, like the 80s? You know, no one really knows about it, and that's not an uncommon thing. Because it looks, if you Google search the cover of Beach Boys today, it looks like a, a greatest hits compilation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I'm looking know. at the cover right now. It has the title of the album and then all the songs and then the picture, which only takes up like half of the space. Right. It's just them all in cardigans and... They're next to a pool, but you only know it because there's one of those silver rails poking up. You don't actually even see a pool. Right. It, yeah, it was a real, I mean, it, it's just not a good cover. It's, it's not good. It's unbelievably not, bad. It, it's bad. <laughs> and, it, and it lists all the song titles, which kind of smells of a, of, of a compilation. Yeah. So I think a lot of people kind of look at that and might flip by it thinking it's a compilation because it just doesn't look like a, a well thought out record. And you you and I were talking about earlier how there's some Beach Boys records that are compilations that you own thinking when you're younger especially this is an album like Endless Summer. Right. I right. thought there's amazing double LP with all right. these songs. And, and on it's it. a collection. Like there's a, a thousand of those Beach Boys records. So with this one, it, you know, it was recorded in the summer of 64 into the fall and then released I think uh when was it like early 65 or so. So this was right when the Beatles were coming around, you know, height of Beatlemania. And also this was when Brian Wilson was kind of stepping back from talking about cars and surfing. It was his first kind of like venture into, I'm going to write songs about the real world and relationships and stuff and not a a cheesy way. You know, of course, I mean, they had great songs like in my room and stuff. Mm -hmm. It was really, you know, so it's not that they hadn't done anything like that. But this is definitely maturity. And uh, a few of these songs on here, I mean, could, I think could have like, they could have snuck those on Pet Sounds or at least been like extra tracks on a, on a Pet Sounds box set because, yeah, I mean, there's two of these songs on here are two of my most favorite Beach Boys songs. Let's hear cut. What do you got? Right. So, um, you know, how about we do, wow. How about Kiss Me Baby? That's nine. It's an original. All right.
question I turned my head was so heavy Babe, I wonder Has it gone blind? Were you still awake like me? Whoa, baby, kiss Yeah, I'm hearing shades of, I'm guessing, Surfer Girl and all that 6-8 stuff would have been before this, but it seems a little more elevated and sophisticated. Right, yeah. And, uh, you know, this is when Brian uh, was starting. It was kind of the earliest stages of the the issues that he went through mentally, emotionally, physically. He was spending more time at home, so he just had more time to craft music and, uh, you know, stepping back from car songs and surfing songs and, and... spending more time crafting uh, better lyrics. There's other songs on here as well. You know, the song right after that, She Knows Me Too Well. It's a song about kind of being a jerk to your girlfriend and her putting... It's like, it's a very kind of like candid song that Brian wrote that wouldn't have been on a previous record. It would have been weird. He's previously writing to teenagers. And this mm-hmm. is more more of just real life and adult stuff. The reason why this fits into the dollar bin so well is because... We were talking earlier about the record cover shit. It looks like a cheap, you know, compilation LP. And then also, you know, you can tell it was rushed. I mean, they finished recording this in January of 65 and it was uh, on stands March 8th. So, I mean, it was definitely rushed there. I don't know what, the, probably Capitol Records who put out the record. Yeah, of it course. like Capitol. Yep. Yeah. So uh, they were uh, probably pushing out for some reason, hitting some goal. But, you know, it starts with Do You Want to Dance, a cover, which is a it's a decent cover, but money grab, right? It's, I think it's kind of like they were probably going, "Well, we need, we need a hit here," kind of a thing. If only we had a great songwriter in this group, right? <laughs> right, um, exactly. And, and so, yeah, and the sequencing is bad. I mean, they put all the. This is the thought I think they put into is let's put all the upbeat ones on the first side, so we don't want people getting bored. Let's put the the more moodier, slower tracks on side B. And it's just like a time right before people start really caring about sequencing an album. Like yeah. I, on, on my way over here, I was thinking, I was like, I just to nerd out, I should resequence this record <laughs> and see if I can make it flow a little bit better. Riches today. Right, exactly. Yeah. I, um, I know yeah. a lot of people argue about the proper sequencing for Big Star's third sister lovers right. because there were so many boots in different order right. and how and, you came to know it. <laughs> right, yeah, no, the Big Star third, I, I, Alex didn't even have an input on that. They kind of just put it out and I think a lot of times people prefer the one that they heard first. Exactly. Uh, but that's such an odd, you know, th- that album is just weird. Fitting the Christmas song next to Holocaust. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's, Holocaust. it's a hard one to sequence. But, you know, with this, uh, yeah, they start out with a, a cover of a song that's not even as good as the other songs. But then from there, the, the one big hit on here is When I Grow Up to Be a Man. So, it, you know, it did have a big hit. And then there's a version of Help Me Ronda on here. Yeah, it's just Brian going, I'm going to spend more time working on songs. And then, you know, their next big thing was Pet Sounds. Yeah, wasn't he not, wasn't he staying at home while they went out on tour and writing at, right. around this time? Yeah. So, and he just, he started smoking, uh, smoking weed to kind of calm his nerves. And he would just, you know, sit at home. They had someone filling in for him on the road. And, um, yeah, it was just uh, not a good time for him mentally and emotionally, but a good time for him creatively. And that happens with sadly with a lot of people. It's one of my favorite records from him, and another really good song on here is called She Knows Me Too Well, and that was the one that I was telling you about earlier. I don't know if you'd want to play any of that, but it's the one where uh, it's kind of a, 
I think it's very first person he's writing that because that's probably how he, you know, was the stuff he was working through with his wife at the time. We could go ahead and yeah, play that one. Let's do play that? a little. Here is She Knows Me Too Well. It's interesting how bands will have these incredibly influential and famous records like Pet Sounds. And I feel like a lot of times with those bands, that one record will get so hyped and it's such the standard that everyone talks about that no one will ever talk about their other good records aside from the super fans. And I agree. Beach Boys (laughs) are a prime example of that. Yeah. And I think they released four songs or four albums within a year, you Mm -hmm. know, so I think they're just laying it on. And right before this, they had their dad who was their manager, who he was, a, you know, obviously famously a complete asshole, but they had just fired him. So I think Brian was feeling freed up. He was he got rid of his dad, finally, who was abusive. And there's that famous audio of Brian and his dad arguing in the studio and his dad telling him, well, Brian, I'm a genius too. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, so he just got rid of that guy. You know, I mean, you're trying to make a record and you got some old dude yelling at you in the studio. It's and just you not have gonna Mike work. Love in addition to that. Right. <laughs> Who, yeah. And Mike Love was fighting Brian on, on this type of stuff. Yeah. You know, Mike Love was very much of the mindset of, we have a formula here. We're making money. We're getting hits. Why would you want to try breaking away from that. And at first he was right. With Pet Sounds, that wasn't a huge smash. The Beatles liked it and uh, musicians liked it, but that was not a hit when that came out. So at first he probably was patting himself on the back going, well, I guess what I was right. But, you know, obviously time. Time. (laughs) He was wrong. says otherwise. And then, of course, I mean, since then, John Stamos, my favorite Beach Boy, has been working with Mike Love. So is there is there stereo mono versions of this? Yeah, that there's are funky? both. Yeah, yeah, there's both, and there's been a newer edition that just came out. Brian Wilson is famously pro mono, correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's deaf and one, he's like right. Only has one ear, right? Yeah. And yeah, I think that's just how they also originally intended it to be to sound. 
too. So I think when uh, you know when they they recorded the, it for that way, the Beatles mixed all their stuff in mono, and right. then someone else did the stereo as well. And they were right. always like, "What is going on with yeah, this stereo?" Yeah, we didn't intend it to sound like that. Yeah, you know? but this kind of it's like baroque pop and there's some you know more rock and stuff like there's a song called dance 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 on there that's like really upbeat and then they do a great cover of uh there's a doo-wop group called the students it's an old doo-wop song called um i'm so young it's about a song being oh darn we're too young to get married and at first you'd think like oh that's kind of corny but brian does a cover of this and it's amazing most of the time i mean i i enjoy a good cover too so i wonder if that sort of like led to wouldn't it be nice which yeah. is like the same message right yeah and I, I think brian was just into like doing like kind of like more of like childish weirder <laughs> type songs and yeah. but i mean he nails it i mean it's a, a really good take on a doo-wop song because it's always hard to beat the doo-wop guys they can sing really well yeah <laughs> you know but i mean i like when people try to do doo-wop and it sounds kind of like shit though too i mean like the oblivions and stuff from Memphis, it, you know <laughs> They'd cover old school doo-wop stuff and they would, remember I showed a, a friend in Oblivion's covering an old doo-wop song. He's like, man, this sounds like drunk Elvis. And he's like, this sucks. I was like, that's exactly why I love it. You know? <laughs> Even like the early Mother's records, right. like Freak Out and right. Cruising with Ruben and the Jets, it's... It kind of sounds like a parody of doo-wop. Right. Well, and, well, Zappa's first records were doo-wop songs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Brian Wilson came from the school of not only doo-wop, but the precursor had those vocal groups like in the Letterman. He was, that's that's how the Beach Boys got that sound. Yeah, I mean, then you listen to this stuff like this when they, you know, on the originals and then on that cover of I'm So Young, you can't do that. You know, like that's a very, you have to be the Beach Boys to to redo that and try to do it in a way that they did is probably just about impossible. So is, is this pretty much like ground zero for the West Coast, like kind of pop psych, like sunshine sound? Yeah, I mean, you know, there was them, you know, pretty soon after that, Mamas and the Papas and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But I mean, obviously they were all looking at Brian. No one was doing it better. And of course, you know, Mike helped co-write some of this stuff and Carl kind of helped out too. But of course, Brian was the mastermind at constructing all this music working with the wrecking crew and uh getting stuff to sound immaculate are the wrecking crew on this i'm not sure i would imagine they are yeah Uh, i I think the early beach boys records are them on the albums but uh, the bigger they got the more they were like not on their albums because hal blaine's pet sounds right yeah yes yeah Yeah. what a monster drummer (laughs) yeah one of the best working with brian i mean he was tedious so and, and you can tell on this stuff all the songs are good. And then it ends with this weird uh, song called In the Back of My Mind that uh, Mike and Brian wrote together, but they let Dennis sing it. And it's this weird, you don't know if it's supposed to be a happy or complete, total depressing <laughs> song. That That's a very weird one. You could either play uh, I'm So Young if you want to hear the doo-wop cover, or you could do it In the Back of My Mind if you want to hear the weirder one. What do we want Let's to hear? Go the weirder one. Okay. The weirder yeah. one. This is Dennis. In the back um, lead vocals of my mind. Yep. I'm blessed with everything. World to which a man can cling. So happy times when I break out in tears. The back of my mind, I still have my Ah! Uh-huh. 
make her happy just living so plain the back of my mind I'm afraid it's gonna I try to run far away from past I should try to keep away But they just keep coming back to me I try to rationalize But someday I might realize Things are just gonna be the way And just some of the choices there, I didn't, it seemed like it was shifting throughout. Yeah, it's definitely moody and sporadic. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many good songs on this. Definitely overlooked. And yeah, I I don't know why. Like I said, I think it definitely has to do with the bad cover art and the the bad sequencing. And also, they were dealing with the Beatles. I mean, that was, the Beatles were dominating. And of course, Brian would put out pet sounds uh, very shortly after this, but uh, yeah, I think it went like rubber soul. He heard that and went, Whoa, right. Made pet sounds. And they heard that and said, here's Sergeant pepper. Like, wasn't there kind of a back and forth? Right. Right. And they both all kind of like respected each other. And then the other thing on here, it ends with a two minute interview. Yeah. So I, I don't, in the, the title of bull session with big daddy. I, I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> Honestly, I, I've listened to it before. I didn't re-listen to the interview in, in advance, this, so I can't really brief you on that. Yeah, it's just weird and thrown together. I feel that if they would have said, hey, Brian, take another six months on this, they would have worked it over. It could have been a classic album, but there was obviously little effort on on the label, and probably they were pushing Brian along. And also, Brian was just going through, like I said, a lot of heavy stuff at the time. Yeah, yeah I'm looking at the musicians and production credits here. Looks like you got some of the Wrecking Crew, Hal Blaine, and okay. Tommy Tedesco, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Leon Russell. So there's a bunch of those names. There's like 30 people listed here with all kinds of different instruments. So yeah, you see the seeds of this like elaborate West Coast and, and kind of strange yeah, yeah. ornamentation and orchestration. That's Yeah, it wasn't just about hot rods. How How different do you think it would be if there wasn't the tension between the two and the band, if right. if it was just a band of Brian Wilson's where everyone was just like, go ahead, buddy, like, just do it. Like, yeah, do you think I, it, it would have softened the blow of Pet Sounds? You know, it. that's a good question. At the time when people are going through that stuff, you think this is terrible and it's worthless and it's just a waste of time. But everything happens for a reason. Everything affects it. So if you didn't have Mike Love there kind of pushing back, that probably inspired Brian to try harder. You know? To be a more himself, almost right, yeah. and, and to yeah. just yeah. and to stick to his guns. So, I mean, if he didn't have Mike push him there, he might not have even pushed it quite as far. But when you get tested, it kind of sets you up to go. Well, I'm gonna go all out on this. I'm gonna show you my love. <laughs> right. I think right. everyone on Earth has had that thought. I'm gonna show you my right, love. and that you know that yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then uh, I, I saw the Beach Boys at Meyer Gardens a couple of years ago for I was covering it for, a, and it was funny. I mean, uh, they. Uh, you know, Mike Love, 
he has his baseball cap on, all these <laughs> rings, and he keeps pointing out at the crowd. And my girlfriend, Nicole, goes, he's a pointer sister. I was like, what do you, what's that? She's like, that's what when guys just like point and they're trying to, that's like their dance move. <laughs> he, he's a pointer sister. Have you ever seen their Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in- induction where Brian speaks and then Mike Love comes in and yes. just, yeah, it, it's he, insufferable. He gets, it gets weird. Yeah. And then, you know, now he's doing songs with the guy from Sugar Ray. Yes. Uh, I was talking about that on our drive up here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm ashamed I knew about it, but you do as well. So that's on the next episode. Of, uh, I wouldn't buy that for a dollar. <laughs> Mark Did you, <laughs> Did you get that John Stamos autograph at the concert? Yes, though? yes. Okay, uh, good, good. He is my favorite Beach Boy. Yeah, J- Jeremy's a. Un- he is a. Oh yeah, I was going on a, a bachelor party in New Orleans, and the best man was John Stamos's niece, who was a lady. But I just relentlessly heckled her into trying to get John to show up and make an appearance. Uh, unfortunately, the Beach Boys were doing a run down the Eastern Corridor during those dates, so right. we weren't able to make it happen. Yeah, it's real yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he's keeping the spirit alive. I guess we'll leave it as that. <laughs> uh, pretty soon after, like, you know, he had this record, then Pet Sounds, and after that, the whole Good Vibrations saga of him spending months in the studio working over one song. You know, the Wrecking Crew would come in for, they might show up, and 10 minutes later, he'd send him home, or they'd show up, sit there for three hours, not do anything, then he'd send him home, yeah. or they'd work for hours. This was definitely the the, the beginning stages of of all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, throw on uh, dance, dance, dance. We've been just playing all the uh, the bummer tunes. So they did have uh, some peppier ones on here as well. After six hours of school, I had enough of the day. I hit the radio dial and turned it up all the way. I got a dance. Some more traditional Beach Boys sound right there, where the party has started now. <laughs> right, right. And it was uh, that's probably stuff they've been working on before. You can just tell like half of this record 
is uh, the good stuff. And when I grew up to be a man, Help Me Rhonda, the Dance, Dance, Dance one that we just listened to. And then there's other just really good ones. Please uh, Let Me Wonder is a good one. I don't know. Have you guys ever seen this come through your shop? Or do you recall it coming through I recognize the cover. Definitely. I yeah. saw it, yeah. Right, right. I can't say, but I'm not, I recognize the one we just heard, but the other ones I don't think were familiar to me. Right. The other selections. And right. I kind of overlooked this one. I probably thought it was a comp. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. And it has uh, two Dennis songs on there. And obviously uh, Dennis put out a great solo record on his own. So um, yeah, Pacific Ocean Blue. Right. Yeah. That's another uh, really good one. It, just recently, more so it's been getting some attention. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely going for, you're going to pay for that, a pretty penny for that one nowadays. So right. I think I paid 20 bucks for my original copy. Yeah. That's a great record. It's a little, little different from the Beach Boys vibe too. Right. Right. Yeah. And of course, uh, we all know how Dennis went out, uh, <laughs> which, yeah, I mean, there's, there, there's just like a lot of tragedy for being such a John was just saying they're just a weird group and they are and their entire legacy is weird. I mean, they start out as this like teen surf hot rod band then they go into the weirder pet sound stuff and then they just go completely weirder in the seventies, like sunflowers, a, you know, a really great record. That's another one that's, I don't know whether it's overlooked, but people appreciate it more these days. But then after that, I mean, <laughs> it gets real spotty. I mean, there's yeah. nothing past the mid seventies, I would say it all kind of really goes downhill and they break up and Brian's not too healthy at some of these shows. They kind of coax Brian to come out of retirement and they drag him out on stage and it's just weird. I don't think Dennis ever got over his Manson connection either. Right. I think he quite ever. Yeah. And then there's another weird aspect to the whole famously (laughs) Dennis was hanging out with the Manson family. And yeah, when I was working on that Chris Bell and big star book, Chilton and when he was in the box tops, they toured with the beach boys and they were really good friends with Carl and Dennis. There's a photo of Alex and Dennis together on an airplane. They wound up at the same house. They were at Dennis Wilson's house and the Manson family stopped over and the, the, the Manson family, the, the females in the family kind of were very domineering and very uh, intense people. Squeaky and everything. Right. Yeah. And uh, Bill Cunningham, the, the bassist of the box tops was there with Alex and he told me, yeah, like a, uh, they kind of just, they forced us to go buy them cigarettes and like maybe some food at the grocery store. So they told like a famous rock, you know, at the time Alex had a number one hit with the letter mm-hmm. and they're like telling a rock star, go buy me a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> you know, it's weird. Just took right over. And- right. So Dennis was wrapped up in, in that stuff pretty hard. And then you had the stuff with Brian and then you had uh, Mike Love just being Mike Love. Uh, <laughs> Carl, of course, he's awesome and mm-hmm. had, and had a, a wonderful voice and then he checked out early from cancer so yeah girl don't tell me is maybe my favorite beach boy song and yeah. i believe that's carl singing yeah that yeah one. yeah i mean carl had a, a great voice he, he sings god only knows yes yeah you can't fuck with that <laughs> have you guys heard a band that was chilling with that crew called uh wendy and bonnie genesis do you know that record can't Ooh. say it's so got a green you know that record which Negative. one is that wendy and bonnie genesis no it's like they were hanging with the the Beach Boys crew. I think they Is were. Is that Bonnie De- Bonnie Delania? No. Okay. But it's the same. It was like daughters of the all the production crew. And oh, stuff really? Like that. They cut okay. this record. Right. It's really just same type of like we were saying before, like so sunny in West Coast, but the sinisterness is so ingrained and subtle. It drives you insane. <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. Like the Beach Boys, it, it, there's always that dark little thing that gives it its bite. Yeah, you take an album like Love Forever Changes and it's like hover. It's very obvious that that's 
that West Coast yeah. kind of darkness is hovering over that whole record, I feel like. But in the Beach Boys stuff, it's happening a little more subtly. Which I, I makes like. it even eerier. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and right. it's very, very reflective of the time period and what was going on, especially in the West Coast. You have the famous Altamont uh, yeah. death of the 60s kind of thing. But there was vibes of that happening already, kind of the fallout of all these small town people moving to the big city and getting heavily addicted to drugs and this whole separate culture that they were not used yeah. to. And, uh, you know, it's just the beginning of making good albums, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, yeah. before that it was just like a lot of singles. And before that it was just an album was, Hey, uh, let's just kind of make some money off of this. They were probably making more money off singles at the mm -hmm. time. And that's what all the kids would listen to back then. They'd get together after school and they'd have a stack of 45s and they'd play those. So, Eventually, it was, for pop music at least, it was Beatles and Beach Boys kind of started upping it and going like, oh, hey, you got to put out a good record too. It's, it's got to be more than a single. So, Yeah, one of my favorite Sunshine Pop albums came out from this time, and I believe out of Los Angeles or Southern California, was uh, The Millennium Begin. Uh, that's a great one. That, yeah. uh, that one just... Note also from, kind of baroque and dark. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that album is just phenomenal. Worth you, checking out. You know... Uh, Michigan's uh, Spike Drivers, you know them? Mm -mm. No, I can't oh, say Oh, boy. Ted Lucas and the crew. Okay. It's yeah. like West, uh, West Coast style, but Michigan, just super gnarly, sinister thing. You know them, Rich, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, Ted Lucas, he's kind of like... That I'm trying to place. Didn't they just reissue something? Of his yeah, recently? he did. He did a really downer, drugged out folk record. But he yeah. was in like a Jefferson Airplane style band called the Spike Drivers. Okay. That were just super like same gnarly but pop they were right. amazing right yeah very cool that's always when it's good i mean it can't just be straightforward pop or it just gets boring so you gotta yeah. you gotta have something weird in there <laughs> you turn into shoujin knife or something right 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 <laughs> um yeah. in short that's just uh it's a great record period but i would say they would have had a few more months to work on this in uh Resequence it, maybe trim off a song or two and add on a couple songs. Trim off an interview, maybe. Trim <laughs> off the two minute interview with Big Daddy at the end for, you know, it don't start it with the cover of Do You Want. I mean, I love Do You Want to Dance. It's a great song, but. Yeah, you, I like you know, the, the Ramones do a version of that. Yeah, too. it's just a very basic, weird. I don't know who made that decision or whether they even made decisions. It seems like they kind of just threw it together. Yeah, it kind of feels like the conflict point of. Brian starting to come out as this songwriting arranging genius, but still at the very end of their like pop career that sort of enables him to do that because without them getting famous with their surf and car songs, right. they don't get access to the wrecking crew. Right. Brian doesn't have money to just piss away in the yeah, studio. Yeah, I mean, it was the formula. Before that, no one would have wanted to hear this stuff. Yeah, I mean, and a few years before that, it was how much is that puppy in the window or the dog in the window, whatever that, you know? So, I mean, <laughs> it's things got to progress slowly. You know what I mean? You can't just uh, jump out at them with the weirder stuff. You definitely had to work into it, especially back then. That's why, you know, a lot of a lot of these young whippersnappers these days talk smack about some of these older groups or they, you know, kind of like downplay what things in the past and chalk it up to being, oh, well, that's boring or whatever. But you got to definitely look at it in, in the context of the time and what was before that. I mean, you can't just all of a sudden start 
playing some insane, uh, like, you know, <laughs> some weird shit. You know, you, you got to work into that because it just doesn't exist. There's no template for what, that. What was the band from the mid or the early 2000s, late 90s that was like a ton of people, the Danielson family or? Yeah. Yeah, Danielson. Remember when that style was to have a bunch of people and it was really orchestrated Yeah, the and polyphonic huge. spree. Exactly. Yeah. Like, because I remember Pet Sounds was a dollar record forever. Yeah. And you'd see it and yeah. be like, oh, cool. But then there was a resurgence of this overblown, super produced spiritual thing. And then I heard people start talking about pet sounds and the Beach Boys again, you know, because yeah. it, 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 it hit kind of a lull in the, the late 90s. It's like you know? when, uh, who is those groups like Vampire Weekend started sounding like uh, Paul Simon, <laughs> the, starts sounding like Graceland, the, uh, Call Me Al, and all of a sudden like... For like the next ten years, everyone, all these indie bands sound like Call Me Al. Ooh, you know? ooh, <laughs> just what we all need in our lives. That is that is hell. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it, it's rough, man. It's Oof. hard. Yeah, I think over the past three episodes, John, you've managed to what's the word here? Isolate like all of our listeners, <laughs> call them all out in some manner. Alienate, alienate. Hey, hey man. Hey, yeah. Man. Tough in the streets. He comes for you. Real talk. John is a big fan of Call Me Al. I'm just going to put that out there. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, hey, in all due respect to Paul Simon, too, he did obviously great records too and um, completely yes. suck yes 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 we're, hey man we're trying to un, undo things that we've done here all right <laughs> we're trying to make it right you really got to go for those uh, garfunkel solo records oh man <laughs> oof most drug-free music ever yes. that's reality and they hated each other yeah you don't say yes, yes. as with the rest of yes. society <laughs> Well, before we uh, alienate any more of our (laughs) audience, uh, is there anything else you want to say, Rich, about uh, like record collecting or John, uh, just about maybe this, you know, something I thought about, you were talking about them covering kind of a more obscure doo-wop group on this record. Was it a more obscure group? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a hit or anything. Because I feel like that was kind of a way of these bigger groups almost being like, hey, we got credibility a lot of those early beatles i realized more recently a lot of those early beatles doo-wop covers they were doing were fairly obscure or motown yeah that would have been their way of communicating like here's our influences that you probably haven't heard of right yeah and it's and also it's just a way to lend a helping hand to a record you like and it's just fun to do and so yeah i i think just in short that this is one of those this is a dollar bin score that it's not obscure really and it's not hard to find it's just cheap because it's just yeah the marketing was bad the look of it was bad and it was just really pet sounds just kind of overwrites it yeah it dominates that conversation yeah this is the precursor to that and i think if you want to close it out with a song i think i'm so young would be good excellent well thank you very much both rich and john for being here again and uh, we look forward to guesting on your podcast i don't know when these actually will air in sequence of each other 2022 (laughs) 2022 (laughs) but uh yeah so what is the song we're going out on here Uh, we're gonna do i'm so young it's a cover that's the doo-wop cover we were talking about um by the students and this is brian just killing it excellent well this has been i'd buy that for a dollar i'm peter cook i'm jeremy ruggles i'm sean hartman Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, guys. John and <laughs> thank Rich you Topeka for joining us. Yes. Thank you, guys. That's great. Fantastic. Ooh, I have a girlfriend. She says I'm her only one. We want to get married.
listener land. Not sure if you guys noticed, but things are crazy out there. And as a result, we will be postponing our live event that we've been hyped about. But, you know, things are crazy. So watch out for that in the future. If you would like to support us in the meantime, you can find us on patreon.com slash podcast. We would greatly appreciate your support. We have lots of back episodes. If you haven't checked them all out, check them out. You got nothing else to do for the next few weeks. Uh, stay healthy out there. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. Bye.